Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today, Drs. John English and Andrew Bram are joined by Scott Bennett, Director of Arkansas Department of Transportation. His top five values are never stop learning, don't be afraid to make mistakes, own up to them if you do, being a servant leader is important, lead by example, challenge the norm, and surround yourself with talent. Hello, everybody. I'm Andrew Bram. I'm joined today by Dean John English from the College of Engineering and also Scott Bennett, who is currently the director of the Arkansas Department of Transportation. Scott, thank you for being here with us. Happy for the opportunity. I'm happy to report that Scott is a civil engineer. (laughs) Civil engineering is my home department. Two times civil. Two times civil, yes. I didn't do it right the first time. I had to go back. <laughs> well, a, a small plug to graduate school. He, he went back for his master's degree, and it has obviously served him very well in his career. Uh, but yes, he got both his bachelor's and his master's from civil engineering department at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And now he's down in Little Rock. He has, over the years, moved up through RDOT. And I think that's a, a good place to start because this podcast is directed toward undergraduate students and it's sometimes easy to get lost in the equations or the the numbers you're trying to memorize, the facts you're trying to memorize. But when we were kind of taking a look at your history, you started in, well, you started as an engineering intern in the department's District 10 office, which is in Northeast Arkansas. And and what did you do as an engineering intern? Whatever they wanted me to do. (laughs) And one of the reasons I... I did that is that was really the only engineering intern job in Northeast Arkansas. There were there weren't any other consulting companies or anything like that at the time. Starting out my first year, I did a, a lot of surveying uh, because that was one of the courses that I had had my freshman year, and you know I usually got the rod or the dumb end of the chain, and you know what that is, that's a chain with a zero, so you don't have to actually read a measurement, uh, but it, you know, as the summer went on, and, and they learned that I understood a little bit more about surveying, they let me do a little bit more work. The first summer was a lot of surveying, uh, then as I went back every summer and, and had, you know, a little more education, they, they gave me a little more responsibility, work with the same crew every summer that I was there and then by the last summer I was there they would leave me on a job by myself and inspecting the work so it was a a progression of experience for my education and being able to get that experience out of the field and as you moved up you worked in the planning and research division then you were the assistant chief engineer for planning and I think that transition in itself is interesting because of the expansion of your of what you were looking at and what you're covering Uh, it was it it was a little bit different you know when I was in school and I was really interested in construction more than anything else and that's what my summer experience was in 
and actually when I came to work here, the only job that was available in construction was in a part of the state that where I didn't know anyone, I didn't have any family, didn't have any ties, and I wasn't really comfortable. Uh, and then there was a job that was open in planning. And, and I said, well, you know, I don't really know much about planning. We didn't do much of that in, in school other than take a class in transportation engineering where you learn a little bit about you know, how to calculate capacity and things like that. I took that job and it was really interesting because it was a, a big combination of engineering and really dealing with the public a lot. And I thought that was that was good. It, it allowed me to get out around the state and meet a lot of people, work with a lot of public officials because you're really using your vision more than anything else. And, and you know, instead of trying to solve a problem at hand like we do a lot of times, it was trying to project what the problems are going to be in the future and, mm -hmm. and work towards solutions that way. So it was, it was pretty interesting, and, and it, it had a lot to do with uh, the fiscal side of what we do, you know, with estimates and working within a budget and, and things of that nature. So it really expanded what my background as a civil engineer was. That's, I think that's fantastic because it, it shows that there are progressions in careers and I think that really ties into the, the first leadership value that you provided us was never stop learning. And you say specifically, as you are climbing the ladder, put yourself in other leaders' shoes and try to gain an understanding of what they need and why they need it. And I think you gave some indirect examples of that during your discussion there, but could you maybe talk about now that you're the director, again, continuing to move up the ladder, are there any specific stories that you could share or would like to share about that? Well, I'll tell you, there's, there's one that's actually really, really simple. You know, when you get to this level, there are some times that you don't do everything for yourselves, like write a letter. You know, someone will write a letter to the department, and, and instead of you sitting down to write that letter, it will go down the chain somewhere for someone that is you know, directly responsible for that to, to write a letter. Well, every leader is going to have their individual style. I mean, there are, there are the facts that aren't going to change, but then they're going to have their individual style. And, and that was one thing that I noticed coming up the ladder was what my supervisor's style was by the comments that they made on the letters that I'd written, memos I'd written, reports I'd written, uh, and, and learned it to a point where I could write a letter for someone's signature and they didn't have any comments on it, they just signed it. Well, then I've noticed these days early on that, you know, someone will write a letter and I'll make a comment on it, and then they'll write another letter and I have to make the same comment, and which means what they're doing is just taking it at face value and fixing it but not understanding it. And, and I think that's simple to do as an engineer, too, in the calculations that we make. There's so much that we do that's automated so much it's electronic we put numbers into a program and we get a result and that's it but we don't understand the result uh, I remember in a, a concrete class one time we were designing a footing and I come up with the size of the footing and well I mean the calculations worked everything made sense and and the question that Dr. Plyman asked me was do you really think this is the size of the footing that's needed? Well, it was huge. And I, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it, it just didn't work, you know, in common sense terms. And I, and I think that's it. You have to look at things 
that you do in common sense terms. And, and you can look to your leaders for their style and, and their guidance. And, you know, one of the themes that you had mentioned was it was being a mentor or having a mentor. I think you can pick out someone to be your mentor without them knowing that they are your mentor. And by the same token, every step you're making, you can be a mentor to someone else without knowing that you're a mentor to someone else. So you always have to pay attention to those things. So yeah, pay attention to the little things, the, the little details, and, and never stop learning. Don't ever stop asking why. And I, and I think that's really important. When, when I became director, there are things that we'd been doing for 40 years. And I would start to ask the question, well, why do we do this? Well, everybody had a different reason but nobody really knew because nobody was here when it started. They just became urban legends. Uh, and I think when you ask why, uh, you, you start to find out the reasoning behind things. And that's coming up the ladder too. Ask why. You know, why do we do things this way? And I think it challenges your leaders. It challenges me as a leader when somebody asks me why we do things because I may have a reason in my head and it sounds good at the time, but when you explain it, it may not sound so great. And, and I think that makes everybody better around you when you ask those questions, why and how. And then when you throw out, you ask that question, and it turns out that there's something substantive. I mean, maybe you can comment on what it feels like whenever a group really rallies and says, oh, my gosh, we ought to look at something. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think sometimes when you're in this role, you take it for granted that you know why we're doing something. And, and you will answer that question you'll say here's what we need to do and everybody just needs to go do it i know that's happened with me over the years and and someone would ask me you know well, why are we doing this and i couldn't answer the question i didn't know we, we were told to do it it's like i mean my my mom to this day 89 years old has a magnet on a refrigerator that says because i said so <laughs> and i and i never liked that as a kid growing up i wanted to know why uh, and, and that's one thing that I've learned in this role is, is that I don't just say, let's go do this. I have to explain why we're doing this because sometimes it may seem like uh, it's, it's a lot of work for no reason. But in, in knowing your audience, you know, sometimes you have to go the extra mile to educate your audience, you know, or your client, no matter who it is. You may know your client better than, than anyone else that works for you knows your client. We have to do that a lot with the legislature. And, and what I tell people is, you know, when we're, when we're making presentations for the legislature, you have to make things as simple and direct as possible. And it's not because they're not intelligent, but they're not all engineers either. And engineers, civil engineers especially, we love to use acronyms. Oh, and we absolutely. love to use terms that nobody knows what they mean. <laughs> I mean, what is the grade of a highway? They see grades as A, B, C, D, F, you know? They don't see it as a percentage, as a slope. They don't know what a vertical curve is and a horizontal curve is. And that's what I've tried to, to explain to people. When you're, you know, when you're in a setting like that and you only have a certain amount of time to explain the bigger picture, you don't want to get lost in the details. So you have to make sure you know your audience and get things on, on that certain level. And talk in terms that they'll understand. And it's and like I said, it's not because they're not intelligent, but I mean, we may be speaking to you know, an optometrist down there. Well, I mean, 
I can't speak in his terms, but he can't speak in my terms, so we have to find that common ground. And I think you've been talking a lot about the whys, and that is one of your values as well, is ask questions like why, and then like you, you even said, don't accept, we've always done it that way as an answer. But another part of that, I like how you, you not only gave kind of a, a core part of the value, but you also had the discussion around, you also said challenge the norm within that value. And I think that that's very important because if people do get set in their ways, they're to do a transportation analogy, they're in ruts and they continue in that rut. Right, that's, that's exactly right. And we become the automated vehicles that we're all talking about. We just get in and, and go, mm-hmm. and we're not even thinking about where we're going anymore. And the, the best example I can give you there was a, a few years ago when the people passed a half-cent sales tax program for highways. Uh, if that passed, it was going to double our construction program. You know, same amount of staff. We didn't have any more staff, but we were going to do double the work. And we were sitting actually around this table on the day of the election, and somebody asked me, they said, do you think this is going to pass? And I said, I really have no idea. And they said, well, really, what's your gut feeling? I said, I really don't know what my gut feeling is, but I'll tell you, when we come back to work tomorrow, it's going to be business as usual. But if this passes, usual is about to change a whole lot. And you do have to challenge people to get outside the box sometimes. And I, and I think I, I made this description to someone yesterday. Sometimes as engineers, as civil engineers, things become very impersonal. They're, they're lines on a sheet of paper. Well, our lines on a sheet of paper may impact a business or a residence. You know, I mean, we say, well, this has to have 12-foot lanes and 8-foot shoulders, and this is the degree of curvature you have to have. Well, so what? if the edge of the the shoulder is 12 inches from somebody's front porch well we didn't take their house well no but we took their quality of life Mm -hmm. and and i think that's what i mean we have to challenge the norm as as engineers we're big on standards we we have these standards and everything has to fit inside this box but sometimes in all of engineering. I mean, we're dealing with people and things that affect people every day. We have to get outside the box and think beyond the standards sometimes because what we do affects people all the time. And, you know, when you challenge the norms like that, Scott, you know, it reminds me that, and then all of a sudden bureaucracy and red tape, and it can just bog you down. And back to your point, it reminds me, I think it's Jim Collins that talks about when people are all going the same way, you don't need a bunch of bureaucracy and red tape. And, and I, I think that was a wise counsel to your team the night before that election. It's going to be business usual, but we're going to have to step it up. That's right. And it, and it, and it, challenged, it challenged everyone. I mean, we, it, we sat in a room and, and started writing our process down on a whiteboard and, and how long the process takes sometimes. And, and everybody's in a silo and they don't work together sometimes, and it required everybody to work together, everybody to work concurrently, uh, and that has become the norm. That's, that's just what we do today. And I think that feeds really nicely into another value that you shared with us, which is surround yourself with talent. If your team didn't have that talent, then you couldn't literally double your work overnight. And you, you go on to say you can't do everything yourself, and your team will only be as strong as its weakest link. That's right. You know, in, in transportation engineering, we talk sometimes about an intersection being the weakest link 
in a network or an interchange being the weakest link on the on the freeway system you know we used to tell everybody in, in northwest arkansas on i-49 we had to fix the interchanges first because if you can't get through the interchange it doesn't matter if you have 12 lanes on i-49 you're still going to get stuck mm-hmm. and that's the same thing with a team and i have seen people over time that really didn't like to promote someone that had a lot of talent and a lot of ability because they began to feel threatened by them. And and my take on that, and and I described this my first day as director, is I really see myself like the manager of a baseball team. I'm not going to be the one that's out there playing the game every day. But I'm the one, if I'm going to be successful, I have to have the best people at every position and that can work together as a team to actually do that work every day. You know, the boots on the ground, those are the folks that have to be the best possible that they can be, uh, or I'm not going to be successful. Then my job becomes to be just to give them direction and get out of their way and let them go to work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important, and which means, too, I mean, you can't be a micromanager. You know, I, I'm not the one that's going to be out there. We have hundreds of construction jobs going on every day. And I'm not going to be able to answer every question about every one of them, but I have to have people that can answer questions about those every day because they're the ones that are actually doing the work. And I think another great perspective about challenging the norm and then surrounding yourself with talent is the fourth value that you gave us, which is if you're going to be doing those things, mistakes are going to be made. And I'm really happy to see that being upfront and acknowledged (laughs) because I make mistakes all the time. It's not only that you. I didn't know you did. <laughs> you did. Well, Let's call Micah. We need to let him know. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, maybe it's so common that you don't notice. But, <laughs> but the second part of that is own up to them. If you, Absolutely. If you do. Yes. If you do, and I'll tell you my best example of that. <laughs> and, and I was on, I was on the outside looking in, but it really made an impact on me, and and it goes back to everything being so automated now and you put things in a program and you get an answer and and i was with our chief engineer at the time one day and there was one of the one of our engineering staff that had come up and you know shown the results of analysis that's all we were really wanting to see we weren't one of the nuts and bolts and there was something that didn't make sense to him and he started asking questions and found out that sure enough there were some things that just weren't right in it well the younger engineer starts explaining well I put this in and I put this out and the program did this and it did this and it did that and and he stopped right there and he he said I'm gonna stop you right there he said you can tell me all day long what you did I'm gonna tell you what you didn't do you didn't check it and and that really made an impression on me because that's I mean that's exactly right if they would have thought about it and used a little bit of common sense, they would have known that the answer wasn't right, just like when I was trying to design a footing in college. If I would have used a little common sense, I would have known that wasn't right. It didn't make sense. I mean, you know, the footing's bigger than the bridge. That's, that's, that doesn't work. And, and you see so many times, instead of people saying, you know, you're right, I messed up. I'm going to go fix it. They'll try to make excuses about why it happened, that are, and the excuses are somewhere beyond them. You know, it was the program. Oh, there's something in the program that was messed up. Uh, i tell you another example that, that really ought to hit home with the students who are in college that I, I remember from this day, and it was Dr. Sam Thornton, 
who taught soil mechanics at the time gave us a test and we all knew after that class that, that we just completely bombed the test. So nobody wanted to go back and get the test back the next class period. Well, he walks in and writes on the board, a good engineer learns from his mistakes, and he hands out the test again and, has, and had us take it just two days later. And you saw a lot of blank looks on people's faces because they did not go back and look and see what happened. They just knew they bombed the test and, okay, give me my grade and let me move on. Um, there was... There was one person that came back and made a really good grade on that test, and a lot of people made even worse than they did the first time. And that person was the one that after class was so upset that they did so poorly, went back and looked at why and how they were they did what they did and how they were supposed to do it. It's a great story. And, and, and the, the even better part is the next class was Miller Ford, and one of our asphalt classes comes in and looks at the board and sees a good engineer learns from his mistakes, picks up a piece, piece of chalk and writes underneath it, and never makes the same mistake twice. And, and that's, I mean, it's a pretty simple lesson. We're all going to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything at all. But own up to them, learn from them, so you don't repeat them, and that's that's how you're going to grow. And, and so, Scott, how do you think the people around you that you work for, or work for you, or your peers, what are they thinking about you, the person who said my mistake, my bad? Well, I think they realize that mistakes are going to happen at every level. Yeah. It doesn't matter, and and I I have had to do that. I've had to come back and say. You know, I did something I really shouldn't have done, whether it was saying something in a legislative committee meeting or, or whatever it was. Uh, and, and I think that lets them know that it's okay and, and you can recover from it. And, and when somebody makes a mistake, you know, the, the reaction is not, you know, anger and frustration. It's, okay, so how are we going to fix this? And, and I think when that's your approach is, yes, we made a mistake. Okay, now how are we going to fix this? Then what happens is people will come to you and say, look, I made a mistake, and I've already thought about how to fix it, and this is how we fix it. And that makes you feel really good that your people are more conf uh, confident and comfortable in doing mm -hmm. things on their own, making decisions on their own, and know if they make a mistake, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, it's going to be something that's pretty easily fixable. Yeah. And so we've gone over four of your five values. The, the first was never stop learning in, in no particular order. The second is don't be afraid to make mistakes, but own up to them. The third was challenging the norm, asking questions like why. The fourth was surrounding yourself with talent. And, and the fifth one, and the last one, is being a servant leader is important. And you need to lead by example. Actually, before we started the recorder, you were telling a wonderful story about going out into the field. And I, that's a small example, but it did really hit home. And that, you can either retell that one or you can tell another one. But you, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell that one again. And there's, and there's another one that I've thought about when I, I use that as, as one of the examples. But, you know, at the end of each year, we have... Uh, service and safety award events around the state. So, you know, for years, uh, the director would, would go out and present service and safety awards uh, in the offices around the state, you know, to P 
people who have reached 25, 30, 35 years and people who have had you know, a year or so many years of, of non-preventable accidents. And, and it always seemed like it was, it was so good because, I mean, we have 3,700 people on staff and you don't always get the chance to go around and meet them. Well, the first year I had to do this, all I ever knew were the pictures that were in the magazine. And they were the director in a coat and a tie and the district engineer in a coat and a tie and announced certificates to people around the state. And, and you know, when I walked into the first one, and we have most of these in our, in our shops, you know, where we do work on the big equipment, you know, big bay doors and concrete floors. And I walked in and I thought, this feels a little weird to be walking into a shop wearing a, wearing a suit and a tie. I uh, didn't think much more about it because that's just that's what had always been done. And, and I started looking at the pictures in the magazine afterwards and I just thought it looks so uncomfortable and unnatural that I'm standing here in a suit and a tie and I'm, and, and I'm giving a certificate to someone who's worked in, in maintenance for 30 years and he's wearing jeans and boots. So the next year when I started to go out, I called our district engineer and I said, hey, I'm not going to wear a tie. And then I didn't believe it. And, and sure enough, I showed up not wearing a tie. He was still wearing one. <laughs> the next day, I, I called our district engineer and said, I'm not wearing a tie. And he said, yeah, I've already heard. I said, not only that, I'm wearing jeans. And he said, no, I don't believe it. And they didn't believe it until I walked in the door. And I didn't really think much about it. I got... And still today, you know, seven or eight years later, I get more compliments and, and, and comments from the crews around the state about showing up in jeans and boots just like they do, that they feel more comfortable. They feel more comfortable approaching you. They feel more comfortable in that whole event. Uh, and, and it really turned things around quite a bit for a, for a lot of those events. So I think that's it. I think you have to lead by example. I think you have to know what is around you know the environment of the people around you and and it's it was a small thing uh in the end shoot i was more comfortable too i didn't want to wear a tie to those things um yeah so it was it was something that i think was good for everybody all around another thing that happened we we have this system called network fleet that's on all of our on-road vehicles and it's a vehicle diagnostic system but it's also gps so it tells where you are how fast you're going, all of those things. And it actually, it's, I mean, it helped us recover a stolen truck in about five minutes one time. So it, it's been really good and it's paid for itself because it, it, you know, tells what the problems are with your vehicle before they really show up. But the thing that was so controversial is, you know, now your supervisor can receive an alert if you're going 10 miles above the speed limit, and if you're going more than 80 miles an hour or something like that. And it tells where you are all the time. Uh, so it was an accountability tool. And, and I knew it was gonna be a little bit controversial. So the first thing I did was tell our folks down in equipment, I want you to put that on my vehicle before you put it on anybody else's. Because I, I don't want them to say, well, Scott doesn't have it on his, you know, why does he not have it? I, I wanted to make sure that I could say, look, I'm going through the same thing you all are. I, I have to do the same thing. And then this is about accountability, but it's also about trying to save money. My vehicle is no different than yours. Having, you know, you have thousands of people out there that, that you ultimately are responsible for, Scott. And you've got hot things, heavy things, big machines, 
things that break and accidents occur due to human error and serious things, and people can die. Right. And I'm sure on your watch, you know, I know God forbid it ever happened again, but you've probably had some things happen due to mistakes and human error. In your role as a servant leader, how does that pan out? You know, that's, I would say that is one of the things that you take most personally. Yeah. And, and I will say not even just with our own crews, but when there is a fatal crash on our highway system, I mean, that's, that's personal. When you get down to it, there are a lot of those things that do happen because of operator error. They're no less tragic. They're no less sad. And when it happens with a crew, I mean, we have to you know, have meetings with the crew to make sure that, that you know, everybody understands how it happened, why it happened, so you can prevent it again. But you also have to give them you know, the comfort and the tools they need to be able to recover from just having lost somebody that they worked with every day. And, and that is, that's one of the most difficult things. Um, I remember one day that we were having a, a staff meeting where we had all of our division heads and district engineers in. And, and I could tell something was wrong with one of our district engineers. He had just, he, he left the room and he came back in. And when he came back in, I knew something was wrong. Uh, and I asked him what was wrong. And he had just, he had just gotten a call saying that, uh, one of our crew members had lost his life. He was on a piece of equipment that turned over and it, and it fell on him. And, and we just, we stopped the meeting and told him, look, you, you go back, you've got to go back and address it. All of this other stuff can wait. Now, this is personal. And, and when you have, you know, whether it's three people on your team or 3,700 people on your team, that team is a family. You spend more time with them a lot of times than you do with your own family. And that's something that becomes extremely personal that you have to address just like you would with a family member. You get hurt, okay, let's let's make sure we can get you to a point where you're okay, and then we have to talk about why that happened and try to prevent it from happening again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that really puts in perspective the, the breadth of what you're responsible for, not only professionally, but even going into the personal side of things. And that's that's something that's easy to lose sight of sometimes. And I think something that's even more amazing is not only do you deal with those issues, you deal with all the regular daily issues, and I'm sure there's a lot of bureaucracy that you get to deal with involving paperwork and forms and all those we type have, of we things. We have none of that at the university. No, we, yeah, we don't have it. Everything is as streamlined as it can be. Even with all of that on your plate, you still find time to do service. And I know one of the things that I always try and, and, and tell, especially students, is, is this is a, a critical part of your profession for for my personal profession as a faculty member it's supposed to be 20 percent of my job as service and I'm, I'm fortunate that that's written into my my contract but you are currently serving on the ashto which is a great acronym the american association <laughs> it's, it's of state another, it's another one that nobody knows what it means you have to be really careful how you say it <laughs> yes it stands for the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. So the Ashtore Board of Directors, 
You're on the Ashto Committee on Planning. You're on the Associated General Contractors Joint Committee. I could go on. There's a huge list here in front of me. <laughs> but I guess there's two things that are, I think, great about that, that that maybe you could share with us is one, like why do you think that's important to give back to the community? And then two, how do you physically and mentally do that with all the other things that you have on your plate? I think the second one is more of a challenge than the, than the, than the first. It, it is important because it, it really it is part of one of those things we talked about early on and in, in never stop learning. Mm -hmm. and, and when you deal with things like with Ashto, I mean, that's made up of every state department of transportation around the country. Uh, we have a lot of similar issues, but we have a lot of different issues too. And, and when you get involved in things like that, uh, it, it really helps you to learn. And, and you come away from some of those meetings with a lot more information than you could ever, ever gain sitting through a, a technical webinar because you just have the opportunity for peer exchanges. Uh, everybody's dealing with, with similar problems and they address them similarly. Sometimes they address them differently. And, and it helps you to continue to grow grow in your role here. So that's, I mean, I think that's extremely important. The, the one with the Associated General Contractors, that's one where the Departments of Transportation and Contractors have a joint committee. Well, you know, a lot of times we see, we see a, a conflict between our people that are inspecting the work and the contractors that are doing the work. The bottom line is, we're all partners in the same thing, and, and our clients are all the same as the traveling public, and to make things better for the traveling public, and it gives you a forum to be able to address issues that are going on in a, in a bigger and calmer setting uh, to try to make things better overall in that partnership, which means things are gonna be better for the traveling public. You know, as far as, as you know, the time and the how, uh, it's always important to to keep things in perspective and know that you know this this is not just a job yes it, it is a job and it is but it is a career this is not everything there is to life you know there are friends or family there's your faith there are all those things that you have to take care of there's a there's a story that i told some of the crews one time and, and that you have all these different parts of your life there's your you know there's your job there's your friends there's there's your faith there's your family uh, and it's like a juggling act and and you start to juggle all of these things well some of these balls are rubber and and if you drop it you know you, you drop the ball with something at work well it's going to bounce back you know you drop the ball with something with your friends well I mean that should bounce back some of those balls are glass though and if you drop them they're gonna shatter and, and it's gonna take a lot of effort to put them back together your job is not one of those yeah. and and that's why it's important to know that there is more to life than this job or this career um, it, my son is gonna be a senior in high school this year playing football His team won the state championship last year which was so cool but I coached him from the time he was four years old un until 
the school wouldn't let me coach them anymore <laughs> because I wasn't on the school payroll. Uh, and, and it was just, it, it was understood that, yeah. I mean, there are events that we would have after work and, and I would miss a work-related event after work if we had practice or if we had a game. And, and that's just something that's understood. And that's something that's understood around here now is that your family and the things that you're doing outside of the four walls of this building are extremely important for your health, for your happiness, for your quality of life. And if you take care of those things, then you're going to be a better worker. You're going to be more rested. You're, you're going to be more available and be able to better concentrate. So I think it's important that you have to take time for yourself. And that's, that's hard to do sometimes. But you know, even if it is, I'm going to take a week off, tell everybody, turn off your phone, hold the phone calls, I'm just going to get away and I'm going to have to decompress. And then you have to do that or you will get burned out. It's interesting you bring that up. And I, that glass ball mm. analogy is really, really good, Scott. I was communicating with a person who's just been named as a dean at a major university, wanting some, some guidance because stepping from department head to dean ends up being you discover that you're booked every minute of every day and more than half the evenings. Right. And I, I encourage this person, and I appreciate that reinforce because I'm saying, I want to go personal with this individual. I said, but I do this, and I'm sure you do too. No matter what's going on, your family has to have access to you, no right. matter what you're doing. Right. You can be standing in front of the General Assembly and your kidneys get a hold of you. They need to know they can get a hold of Dan, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that is yeah, so much more that. important than anything else going on around here. Yeah. And, and you know, usually people will understand it. And, and you know, sometimes when you're coming up through the ranks, you're afraid to say no to something because it's an opportunity. You, you have to sometimes. Don't you think that's part of being a servant leader, too? It is. Demonstrating what you love mm-hmm. and those glass balls in your life it is yeah, yeah that's yeah that's exactly right and it's and it's telling people that you know what yeah it's okay it, it, it's okay to leave the office at 2 30 in the afternoon because you're going to see a program at school because that's important those are things that you will awesome. never forget your kids will never forget them uh it's okay that you take an afternoon off to go help a friend move because their friend's never going to forget that. I mean, that's something that's just extremely important. The vast majority of what we do, even though we think it can't wait, it can wait. I, th- I think that's a great way to wrap up because Absolutely. it's, and I, I too love the, the rubber versus the glass ball analogy. I'd never heard it put that way, but it's, it's spot on. Um, so, Scott, thank you so much for thank your time. You. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Enjoyed it. Thank you for joining Leadership Web today. We hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview. Please join Leadership Web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey. Also, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web.